this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. My name is Jordan Bloom and I'm a resident in cardiothoracic surgery at the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Tom McGilvery, who is the Chief of Cardiac Surgery and Thoracic Transplant at Houston Methodist. Dr. McGilvery's clinical interests include aortic surgery and adult congenital surgery. And prior to taking his chief job in Houston, Dr. McGilvery was a cardiac surgeon at the Mass General and is one of my close mentors. His decision-making, bedside, and operative care of patients is truly unparalleled. He is a real expert in cardiothoracic surgery. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. McGilvery regarding his thoughts on the management of a porcelain aorta. So Dr. McGilvery, I'm gonna present a case to you of a typical patient. Uh, We'll end up having a calcified aorta and talk with you a bit about your strategies on managing the patient. Sure. Thank you for taking part in this podcast. Thank you, Jordan, and it's nice to see you, and thank you for the very gracious introduction. All right, so uh, Dr. McGilvery, this is a 67-year-old male who presents to the emergency department with worsening dyspnea on exertion ultimately undergoes a transthoracic echocardiogram and is found to have a tight aortic stenosis. Calculated valve area of 0.8. Taken for a coronary angiogram and got a tight left main stenosis of approximately 90%. You get a call from the cardiologist. They tell you about the patient. You guys uh, decide to take him to the operating room for surgical aortic valve replacement and a coronary bypass. After you've got the chest opened and you start dissecting out the aorta, you realize that you can palpate circumferential aortic calcifications, basically from the sinotubular junction all the way to first branch of the aortic arch. Tell me a little bit about what's going through your mind at this point after you make this discovery of a porcelain aorta, knowing now that we need to cannulate, get on bypass, and complete this operation safely. Yeah, Jordan, an assessment of the aorta is really important in any cardiac surgery case. The cases, this case, as you presented it, it would be very common to go to the operating room with the information that you had, an, an echo and an angiogram, a coronary angiogram, which may or may not alert you to the presence of a calcified or porcelain aorta. I suppose if you had a suspicion about it preoperatively, you might get further imaging, you might get a CT scan and get a better assessment of the extent of the calcification. But very commonly, you don't have the benefit of that imaging. And so it's really critical that for every case, you make an intraoperative assessment. There are centers and surgeons that routinely will do an epi-aortic ultrasound on every case. I, I don't do that. I think many surgeons don't, They, but I do do it on a, a case-by-case basis. And so at the very beginning, when I expose the heart or the aorta, whether it's through a full stenotomy or a, a small incision, first order of business is the aorta safe to cannulate and clamp. And there are things that can give that away. You can feel it as you described. And if you feel calcium, certainly uh, in the mid-ascending aorta and the distal ascending aorta, that's a really a red flag. If there's inflammation or adhesions on or around the aorta, that's another red flag that would, for me anyway, alert me to do an epiortic ultrasound. Because what you're really looking for, as you said, is to can you safely manipulate this aorta? And I don't think you can make the presumption that just because you can see or feel calcification proximally that there isn't some distally. And the complications, including death, that hang in the balance are really high. So for me, that would change my operative plan and my strategy of how I would proceed with that operation. 
Okay. So you're in there and you're worried about the aorta because of one of the things that you described. Tell me a little bit about, you would ask for an ultrasound and complete this epi aortic ultrasound. How does that go? In many operating room, cardiac operating room now, the use of transesophageal echo is ubiquitous. And even if it isn't, this would be a case that you would want them to bring an echo in the room. Certainly the distal ascending aorta can be a blind spot for the transesophageal echo. Just the way the transducer is set up in the esophagus, you may or may not see the most important place, which is in the distal ascending aorta and proximal arch. So that's why using a, a surface ultrasound that the anesthesia team can pass over to you, you put it in a sterile sleeve and using the appropriate lubrication and putting warm saline in the pericardial well, you can actually get very good images by putting the transducer directly on the aorta or to get a little bit of relief away from it so you can see circumferentially having a fluid filled, whether it's you know putting saline in the in a glove or some kind of device so that you can get a good assessment. And what you're looking for is can you cannulate, can you clamp? So if there is a calcium or even more concerning besides calcium in the media would be atheroma within the lumen of the aorta. That is even a more concerning problem than just the calcium alone. I mean, calcium is concerning, but you also want to look for mobile atheroma. If there's no calcium, no atheroma in the distal ascending aorta proximal arch, you may be a little bit more reassured for using that for cannulation site and for a clamp site, but if you're not happy with that, I personally would have a low threshold to cannulate in a, a different place, cannulate peripherally. Okay. Without knowing much more detail about the patient, what would your first choice for an alternative cannulation site be? Yeah, you know, historically, femoral artery was a thought to be a safe haven, and many surgeons still do that. I think the concerns, having retrograde perfusion from the femoral artery and potentially having that be a source of emboli to the brain, many of us, me included, have moved away from the femoral artery if you have the luxury of time to go some other place. My peripheral cannulation site of first choice is the right axillary artery. It's relatively easy to expose. You can cannulate it directly or you can sew a side graft onto it. It allows you to give anti-grade perfusion, meaning that you can go on cardiopulmonary bypass and not have any atheromata in the ascending aorta or the descending aorta go up into the cerebral circulation. You know, of course, you have to make an assessment of the axillary artery, but, but the axillary artery is a relatively spared artery for atherosclerosis, generally speaking, even in people who have included abdominal aortic sclerosis and stenosis. So that's usually a spared artery. The benefit, too, is that you can cannulate. It, it decreases the risk, certainly theoretically and practically, embolic problems to the brain. You can also, if it requires a more extensive operation, you can use that for selective integrated cerebral perfusion, which more and more data coming out that even relatively short periods of hyperthermic circuitry arrest may not be as safe as we once thought. It also allows you to, to do that operation at a warmer temperature. There's, there's very good data now that shows that you don't have to go and do deeper or profound hyperthermic circuitry arrest. It cooled to moderate hypothermia pretty safely. So, with ACP. With ACP. Yeah. So that would be my my choice. There are a lot of very experienced surgeons that also 
cannulate the innominate artery. That's a, also a very good choice. I, I have to say, it kind of makes me a little bit nervous, regardless of the excellent experience that other experts have had, in that it still requires that you clamp the innominate artery that is pretty close to arch that you're concerned about. So, and sometimes calcium can extend up into the proximal innominate artery. But that's more a caution based on concern than it is on data question I have for you. So I know there are some surgeons who use an eight millimeter tube graft every time they cannulate the axillary artery. And I know there are some people who preferentially cannulate the artery directly. And then there are other surgeons who sometimes cannulate the artery directly and sometimes use a tube graft. Can you just educate us a little bit on why one might make that decision, whether or not to use the so-called chimney graft? Yeah, I think that the benefit of sewing a graft on it is you're not occluding the artery. There's advantages and disadvantages of that. Some people who cannulate directly are concerned that if you sew a sidearm graft on, you can have increased flow to the arm and have problems associated with that. At least in my experience, if you sew it on with a bit of a bevel, you can direct flow more centrally than down the arm. The axillary artery is a bit of a different artery to work with than, say, the femoral artery or the ascending aorta. It can be more fragile, and it's much easier to cause delamination of some of the layers of it. So directly cannulating it can cause problems. And and likewise, how you clamp it, if you will, to sew grafts on it can also cause problems. So you have to approach the axillary artery, whether you do it directly or with a graft, with, I would say, special caution and care. I don't, to my knowledge, think there's any data to demonstrate that one is any better than the other. Certainly, direct cannulation is faster, but, uh, you know, the uh, as the old saying goes, you, good experience comes from good judgment that you get from bad experience because of bad judgment. You know, certainly early in my career, I had some mishaps cannulating the axillary artery. And you know, I just found in my own practice that sewing a graft on it was, was easier. But I think they're both equally good. Okay. So let's get back to our scenario and say that, you know, you complete the epiaortic ultrasound. You, you didn't see a great cannulation site. So you went ahead and cannulated mm-hmm. the axillary artery. And now we're on bypass, perfusing through the axillary artery. It's an aortic valve replacement. So we've got a dual stage venous cannula mm-hmm. in the right atrium. Down, down into the inferior vena cava. And, and so now, you know, the decision is, is, is there a safe place to cross clamp? And again, I, I'm assuming that the epiaortic ultrasound with possibly the transesophageal echo were helpful in making that determination. Mm-hmm. What are your options if you don't think you can safely cross clamp the aorta? So uh, as you presented it, points that you raise are excellent, that you really want to be as sure as you can be that clamping the aorta isn't going to cause you to have emboli. And so I personally have a very low threshold in this kind of situation to cool down to, I'd probably cool to 25 degrees for moderate hypothermia. And I would not clamp the aorta. I would arrest the circulation and open the aorta without clamping it and make an assessment. If I did have safe spot, it's very easy to then just put a clamp on the aorta and start to warm and do the rest of your operation. If it's not safe to do that, then you've really done a benefit to the patient by not putting a clamp and certainly not putting a cannula in that disease portion of the aorta. And that allows you to either proceed with a brief period of circulatory rest or, or I would recommend if you're going to replace the ascending aorta, do a hemi-arch or certainly do more extensive arch work, you have the benefit of the axillary artery 
cannulation to do anti-grade cerebral perfusion. And so, you know, in this case where at least what you set out to do is an aortic valve replacement and a coronary bypass, can you do both of those procedures under deep hypothermic circulatory arrest? Well, I, I don't think you'd need to. I okay. think that at least the way I think about doing heart surgery is I kind of break things into their modules, uh, their component parts. And all you really need to do under circuitry arrest or integrate perfusion is deal with the distal part of the aorta and recite what you need to there and reconstruct what you need to there. And once that's reconstructed, you can put a clamp on the graft and then start to warm and go back on bypass and then proceed with the rest of your operation. Okay. You know, I think that the trap that in my opinion, one avoid falling into is going to the trouble of cannulating the axial artery and going on pump and trying to save time by clamping the aorta and addressing the aortic valve. If you're going to do that, I mean, I think that you, you don't want to sacrifice effectiveness for efficiency. The real limitation and concern is not causing debilitating or devastating embolic events. Uh, so I think that taking the time to safely manage the distal ascending aorta is very important. That would be time well spent. And, you know, you've referred to multiple times the concern of, of an embolic phenomenon. Are you also concerned about causing a dissection, an iatrogenic dissection? Is that something that more likely, if you who maybe is more concerned with efficiency, attempts to cannulate this aorta? Yeah, so diseased aortas are diseased aortas. So if you have atherosclerotic disease involving much of the media of the aorta, that yeah, sure, I think that you do have an increased risk of causing a dissection. Certainly if it's an aneurysm, there's a, a risk of causing a dissection, although there is the ability to safely cannulate and clamp an aneurysm as long as they're not atherosclerotic or some kind of potential for embolic disease. But yeah, so besides embolic disease, you worry about causing a dissection, sure. And if I change the scenario just a bit and said that you get in there, you feel some calcifications, you do your epiaortic ultrasound, and you find that the, the distal ascending aortic proximal arch is soft and, mm -hmm. and you feel that you can get a perfusion cannula and a cross clamp there mm -hmm. and you go ahead and do that does the calcified ascending aorta need to be dealt with in this operation if you can stay away from it so i think if you can stay away from it the answer would be thought to be no although there is some thinking that having a calcified aorta in the long term does impact long-term survival that being said, I'm not sure taking out the ascending aorta, to my knowledge, I don't think there's data to suggest that by doing that, that you change that long-term prognosis. Okay. What you do want to be able to do is, depending upon what kind of coronary bypass strategy you're going to employ, if you're going to use veins or free arteriographs, if you're going to base those on the aorta, I do think the calcium in the ascending aorta will impact how or if you do that. If you're going to, as planned, do an aortic valve replacement, you will need to open the aorta and close the aorta. And if that portion of the aorta is calcified, I would have a lower threshold to resect it and replace it with, with a graft. Okay. You know, one other scenario that I'm just thinking of, if somebody has calcifications that are more isolated to the very proximal aorta, the root, you're able to, to cannulate and cross clamp, but let's say that the area in which you would want to sew your proximals is calcified. Potentially, would that be an indication to then replace the root or replace that part of the aorta? 
Or would you, do you potentially move your proximals to a different site? Well, I think any and all of those options are available to you. So the benefit, of, if you're going to be replacing the aortic valve, you have the benefit of opening the aorta. You can directly inspect the inside of the ascending aorta. And you can choose your external site based on the inspection from inside the aorta. You can base graphs off of the internal mammary arteries, certainly as a T or a Y graft. I've also, in, in patients who I thought would not be good candidates for doing a circuitry arrest, I've even based, if I had adequate vein to sew directly to the right internal mammary artery approximately end to end, or you can sew it to the inominant artery or the subclavian artery as your proximal site to avoid manipulation of the calcium. And, you know, I think those decisions, you know, if it's a young, otherwise healthy person, you may approach it differently than somebody who's older and has other significant comorbidities. You know, like, like everything we do, try to tailor the right operation to the patient. Okay. I guess we should talk for a minute about, and I know I've kind of got two different scenarios that I've thrown at you. One where, where we ultimately decided to, to cannulate and cross-clamp the aorta, and one where we cannulate the axillary artery and circa rest. But can you just briefly comment on the sort of intraoperative things that can go wrong in those scenarios? I know there are probably a lot, but in the event that you cause an iatrogenic dissection or that the aorta starts to fall apart. I mean, are, are there specific complications that are on your mind when, when you're dealing with this problem? There are, Jordan. If you're dealing with a problematic aorta for calcification, I think it's important to at least consider that the patient has significant atherosclerosis other places in the extracranial, you know, extracranial supervascular disease, intracranial supervascular disease, in the visceral segment of the aorta, renal arteries. So this would be a group of patients that, talking with my anesthesia team and with the perfusion team, to have to run a higher perfusion pressure. Not so much to overconcern for embolic events, but in the event that there's that there's stenotic lesions somewhere in the vascular tree, a higher perfusion pressure would be more likely to to provide better perfusion uh, in that scenario. Be very, very careful about how you, if you are going to clamp the aorta, how you clamp it. That would be a patient that I would be very mindful when I asked, when I was about to clamp the aorta, I'd have the perfusionist turn the pump off and drain the patient such that you could be very, very careful how that clamp is applied. Uh, Same thing when you're going to remove the clamp. Those are two common times that you can initiate an uncommon event, which is intraaortic, intraoperative iatrogenic dissection, and that, I think, can help mitigate that. Do you use a different kind of clamp in this case? I, I don't. I like to use a padded clamp. The direct answer is no, I don't, I don't use a different clamp okay. in that scenario. And I think this is a nice bridge to, to talking a little bit about postoperative concerns, because you get this person through the operation, and as you've suggested, they, they are likely have diffuse vasculopathy mm-hmm. and, and other, you know, issues in other blood vessels. So postoperatively, you're going to want to keep the perfusion pressure a little bit higher, right? Yeah. So I think that the first thing you want to do when you go from the operating room to the intensive care unit is to have a conversation with your ICU team. Let them know your concerns. Let them know the findings that you had in the operating room. You know, usually we 
are concerned about the blood pressure being too high and, and the concern that that could add to post-operative bleeding. This would be a case where you might be willing to accept a higher concern for bleeding uh, at the hopeful benefit of with a higher perfusion pressure, avoid malperfusion issues from a stenotic disease and the rest of the vascular tree. Once the patient is awake, I think it really is important that you or even getting a neurologist have a very detailed examination to make sure that they haven't had some kind of event or have a low threshold to to study them with imaging, as opposed to oftentimes with sort of a cursory neurologic evaluation. And the same thing's true uh, with regard to the perfusion, you know, God willing that they didn't have an embolic event, that they woke up and that they're fine. But how you manage their blood pressure, you know, those are patients that you might want to get arterial duplex studies, check imaging to see if they do in fact have atherosclerotic disease because you might have a lower threshold to keep their blood pressure higher to optimize or maximize the amount of statin dosing. Uh, So really have that conversation with the ICU and the cardiology team postoperatively. And are there any indications in your mind for extra antiplatelet or or anticoagulation type medications that you would use in a patient like this in a sort of prophylactic way? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that there there is some data that suggests that dual antiplatelet agents, whether it's clopidogrel and aspirin, or recent data certainly for vein grafts at ticagrelor and aspirin are of benefit over just aspirin alone. With that comes the trade-off of risk of bleeding. I think that certainly the limited trials or studies that have been reported show that yes, when there is a, a lower risk of vein graft stenosis or events, that there is a higher risk of bleeding complications. So you have to use your judgment and as to that rock and hard spot, no pun intended, you know, whether or not that would be something you want to do for these patients. At least in my own personal practice, I, I take that on a case-by-case basis. You know, somebody who would not be a great risk for bleeding, I would have a much higher threshold to do that than somebody else who's otherwise younger and lower risk from that point of view. Great. Well, I think what I'd like to do is make an attempt to summarize some of the key pearls that you've shared with us about management of, the, of a calcified aorta and then ask you if, if you agree with my sort of summary. And so it sounds like pay attention to clues in the preoperative period that may lead you down the road of thinking this patient may have a calcified aorta. And I know you made the comment to me as we were discussing this that oftentimes on a coronary angiogram, you can get a suggestion of calcification. Many of us younger, uh, newer uh, trainees don't think, uh, you know, when I'm looking at a coronary angiogram, I'm usually looking at the coronaries and not elsewhere. So I think that was a that's a real pearl. And, and obviously, taking a good history, doing a good physical exam, which, which I sort of skipped over to see if, if somebody's got uh, claudication or other, signs of, or of other signs of cerebrovascular disease or something. And, and any of these suggestions might increase the propensity for you to obtain axial imaging. And we didn't get into this, but obviously, you knew somebody had a bad calcified ascending aorta preoperatively. That might change how you would approach this patient. Is that right? Right. I think that certainly with the successes of TAVR, that you certainly would want to consider, you know, before there used to not be any other options. Right. I guess 
non-operative management and surgery. But now I think TAVR has demonstrated itself to be a very good alternative in patients with with a porcelain or calcified aorta. So that would certainly now uh, be an important consideration. But your point of you don't want to sacrifice effectiveness for efficiency, at least in, in my mind, before you do anything to the ascending aorta, which is almost always something that we do in cardiac surgery, you want to consider, is this a safe aorta to cannulate and clamp and manipulate, or isn't it? And that, if you take a, you know, a, few, you know, a few minutes or even just a few seconds to make an honest and accurate assessment of that, you really save the patient a lot of potential problems and, and the surgeon a lot of sleepless nights. And you talked about adjunctive imaging modalities such as TEE or epiaortic ultrasound. Right. More tools in your toolbox to make right. that assessment. And then we talked about alternative cannulation sites, the femoral artery being sort of the old favorite site, and at least for you and a lot of other people that I've trained with, the, the right axillary artery seems to also be favorable. And we talked a little bit about when to use a, a graft or a, a side branch graft or, or not. And then uh, intraoperatively being careful of, of the complications that can occur and, and the pearl of being uh, communicating with the anesthesia team and your perfusionist about what you're seeing and trying to keep perfusion pressure a little bit higher. Is there a magic number in your mind? So I think, I think that keeping the mean arterial pressure higher than 70 is generally a number that, that people talk about. You don't want it to be too high. I, I don't like it to get much over 90. So somewhere between 70 and 90. Same thing when you have a graft on the axillary artery. I think it's important to keep monitor your uh, radial arterial pressure on that side. You don't want it to get too high. Okay. And if it is, you want to be very careful about the flow uh, through that uh, through that cannula. Okay. And then, you know, ultimately deciding if a cross clamp can be placed on the aorta, and you, you mentioned being very careful, not just the quick flow down and clamp on, but rather actually having them turn the flow off and drain the heart. Be careful with a padded clamp both on and off. Uh, and if the aorta is not clampable, then circa rest. Do it open. Yeah. Deal with the, the aorta efficiently and effectively and then warm and perfuse consider anagrade cerebral perfusion which you already have your axillary arterial cannula in and then complete the operation that you set out to do i think another pearl that you shared with us is is when you get your patient back to the unit they need a real comprehensive neurologic exam and i think probably depending on where you are would define whether that's something that you need to do or a neurologist can do or an icu team can right. do but something more than wiggling all four extremities you know to really have a good idea of, of whether there's been any compromise right now that's wonderful uh, i guess the final question i have for you is you see this patient in follow-up things in particular you know they've made it out of the hospital they did well other, other things because of the calcified aorta that you met in the operating room, are there, are there things on your mind that are different about this patient now as you care for them for the coming years? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And, and I, I worry about it just because of concern that, that patients with atherosclerosis in their aorta do have, at least by some of the data that I've seen, a, a worse prognosis than not having it. Outside of worrying about it, I, I might have a lower threshold to have a schedule set up where they get carotid duplex studies. Uh, again, those would be patients that I would have a, 
threshold if they, uh, certainly in patients that we're doing coronary bypass surgery on, regardless of what their uh, LDL level is, standard of care is to optimize uh, statin therapy. But in, in these patients, if, if this were a patient that I didn't do a cabbage on, I would, based on at least theoretical information, put them on a statin and optimize statin therapy. All right, well, Dr. McGilvery, I want to thank you for your time today. We sure appreciate you taking the time to uh, share some of your thoughts on management of the porcelain aorta with us, and uh, have a great day. Yeah, thanks, Jordan. Thanks very much for asking me, and to you and to all the cardiothoracic surgeons in training, and I wish you the best of success. Thank you very much.